Hi everyone, this is Kylie Brennan here. William Haynes and Jackson Bakich are out of office today. And as a break from your regularly scheduled programming, myself and none other than the Andrew Cheney are taking the chairs. Andrew just made it on to local news in Los Angeles for something I think deserves the title redonkulously cool, and I don't often say redonkulous. So Andrew, tell us more about that. Uh, well, there weren't many uh, donkeys involved with the uh, evening, but there were some Seminoles and some Eagles. Uh, Georgia Southern and Florida State Men's Club Lacrosse doing the play-by-play on there, and we found our way with the great David Pingalore, the local media personality. Shout out to him. Great uh, sports work over at uh, WKLA. Absolutely, and he, he said that it was his son that was playing out there. That was pretty cool. He said um, it multiple times, very emphatic. That was his son. Yes, no one else's son, for sure. Uh, anyways, we're joined on panel today by Justin Pollock, and Justin, I uh, just have to ask, um, going into spring break, what's your ideal spring, va- spring break vacation? I think uh, you can't really go wrong with a nice uh, vacation of the Florida Keys. Ooh, I like that. Nice, yeah. nice. Yeah. Also, debut show for you today. How are you feeling? How feeling are the nerves? Great. I'm excited, ready to be on. Well, that's, show up that's and dominate. a great I like feeling the, to have. Uh, that's a great mentality. Sliding in normally behind the glass, Jack Oliaro is Letting here. me out of the cage. I like yeah, it. Yeah, and kind of like opening to Mr. Brightside. You're coming out of your cage, feeling just And fine. I, admittedly, I'm not feeling the best. However, that did not let me stop me. I'm a Michael Jordan my way through this. Uh, flu game. Flu game, not as, not as uh, pronounced as that. Um, but yeah, ready to show up and dominate. And as for my spring break vacation, Keys is, I've, I've been a couple times. It is quite, quite a spot, especially Marathon, going down to Key West a little bit as well. That's a nice spot. I've never been to the mountains, like in North Carolina, people always talk about it, and I have not gone yet, so that might be my next one if I have the uh, choice to. So you're going beach in the beach or mountain debate? I uh, by default, because I haven't been to a mountain. By default. Andrew, beach or mountain? Beach, mountain. Look it up in North Carolina. <laughs> I've, I've been there. Really nice I've been there. I, yeah, yeah I, uh, I bruised both my kidneys on that mountain. Um, <laughs> one, one of these days I'll ski again. But uh, enough about skiing. Um, we're going to dive in and give you the breakdown, all things FSU sports with our panel tonight. Just as I mentioned, myself, Kylie Brennan, veteran Andrew Cheney on his debut show, Justin Pollock, Jack Oliaro sliding in from behind the glass. And just before we get into things, we want to mention that VD9 is hosting Great Give on Wednesday, and the goal is $10,000, but essentially we are a student-run radio organization, and we are not funded by really anything else other than support and the university. So we would really appreciate you guys funding that just so that we're able to live out our best student radio dreams. Anyways, all right, let's, uh, let's do it. Let's get into Diamond Sports first. So... FSU baseball, head coach Link Jarrett's first season, pretty successful thus far. We had a 13-inning thriller on Wednesday. Looked like the riding was on the wall when USF center fielder Jackson Mayo hit the go-ahead run. Looked like a little flashback to USF's game the week prior on Wednesday where he hit the game-tying three-run home run against UF. Uh, Rank walked, carry on triples down the right field line, and arguably a very unnecessary dive from the nine spot. Gunnett Carlson hit by pitch. Kamaka strikes out. DeSantis doubles. The shortstop, shortstop drops uh, the catch, and it's a two 
RBI, 7-6, walk-off. So interesting, interesting thing to note about that game is Jamie Arnold comes in for the start. He has four Ks on three innings. He's a freshman. Coaches said that they noticed that he was very poised in the fall season. That's why he earned that spot. And then they take him out. And that's kind of what I want to get into here is the Florida State bullpen and kind of the pitching decisions. And we'll start with discussing Friday in that. So taking Jamie Arnold out, how do you what, – what's your thoughts on that? I think it's questionable, um, but it's sort of a reality. He can't pitch forever, right? The situation presents itself. I think when you look at the total whole – uh, some of what Link Jarrett has done as a coach, uh, he has a great ability to balance um, egos and energy in, in the creation of, of an elite team, right? But it's early, and these are not all his guys, and I think he's learning, and I think they're learning, and you're seeing that play out in real time with some of the growing pains. But it's been very exciting to watch, both in the positive and the negative. So you mentioned that kind of their growing pains and shifting things around. There's, We've seen kind of multiple different starting lineups thus far, different changes at first base, different changes in the outfield, and especially with pitching, um, Jackson Baumeister starting in TCU, having a great game, maybe not looking so great this series, but I'm going to roll it over to our panel to talk about the bullpen as well. What have you seen from... FSU's pitching staff that concerns you or excites you? I mean, we saw in the UCF game, obviously, getting taken out in the fourth. Yeah, you can't pitch forever, but four innings, I mean, you got to... And you see how it paid off later in the game. USF comes back and brings it to 13 innings. I mean, that's obviously a result of that pitching decision early in the game, and just the bullpen throughout this whole weekend has been very alarming. It's not looking too great, but it's one weekend. I'm pretty optimistic seeing that TCU was a great weekend, and we saw a great bullpen. So I'm curious to see how it plays out for the rest of the season. It's still early dawns with Link Jarrett and whatnot, but I feel like this may have been his first. I wouldn't say the honeymoon phase is over. That's way too early to put that into question, but... This is the first time you maybe questioned what he was doing. Uh, Jamie Arnold, again, freshman, makes sense. You don't want to run him out of gas, but eight batters, four strikeouts. Eight, uh, sorry, eight, bat, eight at-bats, four strikeouts. He only had 30-something pitches, which is probably the reason why the number of just pitches he accumulated. He wasn't striking guys out like you would see on the other complex at softball. But uh, overall, I was very impressed with his performance that day in particular, and if you want to just extend it to the entire bullpen it's not too far off what we expected from last season it was nothing to write home about but this season the hitting has been we're gonna get into this later but the hitting has been top-notch superb x amount of runs through any inning i'm gonna bring that up later but it, it it's it's something that you immediately that you can see potentially being a problem if they get their stuff together uh, in postseason absolutely and i think usf served as a preview of what it looks like when FSU baseball is in troubling waters, kind of bailed out by an error on the shortstop there, and I think it's safe to say that this weekend surprised fans, but probably a close look in the USF game of what could have been expected this weekend is, you know, leaving Connor Whitaker in for nearly five innings, ends up giving six hits. The question there is, 
it seems like there's not really a guy on the roster right now that we can leave in for, quote, too long. It doesn't seem like anybody can really go the distance on this pitching staff. Would you guys have to agree there? Right now, yes. But, I mean, it's still extremely early. And I know college baseball, it's not a ridiculously long season. This isn't an MLB length season, but there's still a lot of... I mean, this team has not started conference play yet. Absolutely. That starts this Friday, actually. Yeah, and there just hasn't been a clear... I mean, we FSU fans were pretty spoiled last year to have your Friday-Sunday starters. You had uh, Bryce Hubbard and... Um, yeah, yeah, you had Bryce Hubbard and unfortunately... Park, Parker Messick. Parker Messick, how could I forget? The guy um, that was averaging about 2Ks. You could essentially... You only needed about four runs from your team, and you could almost get a win off that. It was just a reliable lockdown sort of thing. Uh, but again, the hitting has shot up tremendously, but at the same time, pitching... Uh, just roster-wise, just not as reliable, and that's what Plink was dealt with. Not so much he could do about it. He can only deal with the schematics, and yeah, and you do what you can. I agree. I think it's just probably Link Jarrett just still feeling out this bullpen or pitching. While obviously there have been questionable decisions, it kind of has to be done to see what we do in certain situations. So I kind of understand his perspective from there. And the most uh, the most successful pitcher thus far has not started a single game in Wyatt Crowell. Arguably, I, th- I believe he's a team captain, but hasn't made a single appearance, been used strictly as a bullpen guy. If you were used to your Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, and then weekday lineup, it doesn't seem to be the case this year. It's a bit more, it's not as um, structured as maybe one would easily consume. So it is, is, it is interesting, and you, I got to wonder if Wyatt's going to start seeing some starts, especially with Pittsburgh this upcoming weekend. You got conference play starting, so, and you only have one more test until then against Bethune-Cookman this t- Tuesday. Absolutely, and I think that's kind of attributed to Andrew's point is that it's still early in the season, growing pains, still figuring things out. Will we see more Wyatt Crowell starts once conference play begins? But anyways, let's kick it back to the weekend. Um, Friday was an 8-10 to loss to FGCU. In the beginning, Tibbs homers is likely one of the most, if not the most, consistent hitter on this team. Uh, he RBIs, brings Trayton Rank home, uh, but FGCU's bats just lit up in the second with four runs off of Jackson Baumeister, which was an interesting thing to see after he opened very well against TCU on Friday in that series. Um, Fielding Harris sends FGCU runner Felix home, and that's, that's the name of the game. That's another thing I'd like to touch on is outside of this series, FSU has 13 errors on the season already, and in this series alone, six. So what what have you guys seen out of fielding that maybe concerns you, or are we still attributing this to just growing pains this early in the season? I mean, I think the fielding is showing, it's rubbing off on the pitching as well, and I think that they are partially, they can blame each other, uh, like just on the errors so the errors are obviously gonna shake up our pitchers I mean seeing those runs get on the board is the worst thing a pitcher can see and it's pretty apparent that from the FGCU series that our pitchers are getting rattled really easily I mean they start scoring runs and we are already having to take out a pitcher because they just can't keep up at that point and when we're getting errors on top of that with the amount that we've that we got this series it's not going to get any better. 
Yeah, and I think another thing is that they've just you, you don't see these errors not even during um, I'm gonna just for lack of a better term call it meatball uh, Mike Mike Martin Jr. ball. Um, while the hits weren't there, there was a lot of you know they would go yard, but on the defensive side side of things, it was a little more cleaned up, it was a little more polished. But again, I think we can all attest this just to just a it's a it's a new team, it's a new dawn, it's a new era. So. It's definitely worth a concern, though, and worth a question mark, especially if this continues in the next couple weeks. Yeah, it's definitely true. Um, a lot of ugly sights out in the outfield, you know, some, some tweaking of balls, some kicking of balls, not what you ever want to see on the diamond. But it's fixable. There are no, I don't see the terminal flaw in this team, um, which when we get into some of Florida State's uh, other athletic programs... We may hear more about terminal flaws, but I don't see any w with this team. A little bit of an early subtweet there. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually sat and watched practice prior to the USF game, and Jarrett increments things in 15 minutes apiece, and one thing that was very much so focused on the beginning was just he had a machine and he was shooting balls out to the outfield and having um, kind of a scenario where the ball bounces off the wall, you need to field it, you need to send it um, to the two spot, you gotta get somebody out. And there was a lot of aggression there. There was a lot of unsatisfaction on those plays being made. Uh, we kind of talked about it on the broadcast because I was sidelining for that USF game and Christian Chavez, the color, uh, All-American, basically said that the 15 minute increment is straight out of Coach Mike Mar make uh, words Mike Martin Senior's book. Uh, so definitely kind of like you said, maybe early on growing pains, but things should transition back hopefully. And the outfield seems to be changing, ever changing, with uh, Tibbs normally in the outfield, and then now him transitioning over to first base. But things transition back on Sunday, so a lot of change. Um, like you said. Uh, FGCU's bats, can we attribute that to maybe our concerns that we voiced with, uh, with our pitching staff, or are we just saying that this is, you know, maybe a smaller, lesser recognized team that just has a crazy bullpen and crazy batting averages? Well, it, it's baseball, right? There is the physical, um... Uh, differences between the team. This is not like it's like you're coming out and it's football and the guys are 200 pounds less than you and embarrassing you, right? Uh, these are strong players. This is a 9-1 and one team. This team should be ranked in the top 25. Um, they're not. Uh, they're going to have to win a lot of games when, when you look at their schedule. Uh, but this is, this is a, a real legit ball club uh, from a part of uh, the state that uh, kind of uh, can they can give you some trouble in baseball, right? When you look at the makeup of the roster, and I think everyone's learned that through the midweek games at and against Jacksonville here. Another thing is that just FGCU's hitting is unmatched. They've had cr incredible individual play. Their lowest amount of runs in a game was seven, and they've matched that several times. So they've never. They're always going to hit. They're always going to perform. You were thinking that maybe coming into this, they'd take a little bit of a slump playing higher opposition, but sometimes you just got that winning attitude, and it doesn't really matter who's put in front of you. You could have put, I'm exaggerating the hell out of this, but sometimes you could put a uh, minor league team in there, and maybe they would make a little bit of chaos there. So 
just and also on uh, FSU side, you score 18 runs in the first two games against them and only two losses. You have 32 runs on the entire weekend, 39 in the entire week. Um, I just think overall, team isn't perfect, but that's to be expected. And this was this was kind of known going in, kind of the thoughts that were circulated around FSU baseball were, I swear, I feel like I heard so many times, our bats are going to be crazy this year, pitching maybe not so much, and that can be attributed to the loss of Messick and Hubbard, as y- you mentioned there. Um, speaking of FGCU's records there, not only are they off to their best start in program history, but also Joe Kinker ties the program history for record for home runs. Respectful golf clap for the Eagles down in Fort Myers. 20 little, little, little long respect. years he broke that record. Ancient program. Have they been around for a hot, what, hot second, these Eagles? 20 years. This is, this is year 20. That is, yeah, good for them. You know what? They had a good weekend. Sometimes you just you just got to play what's ahead of you, and sometimes you just got the juice flowing. Like, you, like Andrew said, it's baseball. Weird stuff can happen. Mm-hmm. And you got to think, get the ship get the ship right, have a comfortable win like you had against maybe Jacksonville over the week, t- two weeks ago, and steady it going into conference play beginning, um, yeah, this, this weekend. I didn't have an uncomfortable, eerie energy going into Friday surrounding the game because I just thought, oh, FGCU, we'll see what happens. I know their bats are great, but... We'll they, see. We'll see how this FSU team matches up, but they crushed him in the midweek last season at Dick Hauser again. So, but on the second day, Saturday, I don't know if any of you saw, they had a piece of paper posted up on their dugout that said "We know," uh, that the broadcast camera zoomed in on, and essentially they asked Felix about it after the game, and he said, "Oh, that's simply just." telling the world that we know we can compete with the best of the best we know who we are and I think anytime you have any school saying that against a Link Jarrett coached FSU team that's probably going to be a really good matchup regardless of the stats going into the game maybe they're the team that maybe can combine an upset in the postseason in the tournament maybe they're the team that dumped somebody a little bit earlier than expected so props to them and also it's a sign of how confident and how much respect they have for Coach Jarrett in Florida State for them to declare we know, right? Shows that they really view this team as a power. It's good that there's at least one team circling our name on their schedules. Absolutely. At at least we know there's one. There's there's probably Mm -hmm. more, but we can definitively say one. Exactly. Their best competition up to this point was FIU, and they put 14 on them. So. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Well, there you have that. Um, Notable of the second day was FSU fought back swinging, starting with Tibbs, but Holbrook also had a day back from hand injury, question mark. I think that's going to be a staple going forward. Um, But let's talk about the day that we won. Let's talk about winning Sunday in the Golds. Kind of like you said, Wyatt Crowell, arguably the best pitcher on the staff, but taking the role as more of a bullpen guy. Um, what did you guys think about Cade Bush on first? I personally liked the transition of him on first and pushing Tibbs back to the outfield where he's used to playing. Yeah, I think the creativity is good. 
feeling things out, showing off right. Uh, Coach Jarrett is someone who is not afraid to make serious, legitimate adjustments. Again, uh, when we talk about other uh, coaches at Florida State, maybe not always true. Yeah, I mean, he had a he had a two for four day. I mean, he has one of the highest batting averages. He has been the DH, but I believe he had a tremendous number of putouts. You know, your first baseman obviously you're gonna get a, quite a few, but that a lot of a lot of what fielding is and a lot of what we think of it is just like don't screw up. And he didn't. You can make your amazing plays at shortstop, second base, outfielder can throw him to home, but he did his job, and that's all he could ask for. Filled yeah. in accordingly. I like. I agree. It's nice to see that we're not shying away from making quick adjustments for fielding. After seeing those errors, it's nice to see. Um, it's nice to see Bush getting moved around and Tibbs being moved around. It's definitely being able to change the dynamic like that and still play a solid game. That's good to see. I definitely agree with you guys there. Uh, I don't really recall what inning it was, but I was sitting right there on the first baseline, and watched him essentially make a diving catch-ish. It was kind of on his knees and mm-hmm. saving the ball and then tossing it uh, to the pitcher covering first. And it was definitely a ball that could have been a deal breaker, um, not one that I would have expected someone to field. Um, Does Tibbs make that same play? That's I mean, that's a question mark. That's a question That's ask. not to limit his ability, but just more so at the uh, tremendous athleticism that uh, Bush put on display in that play. Absolutely, because you saw it in the TCU series. I mean, I I think Tibbs is a phenomenal player, but you saw in the TCU series whether it was an overthrow or Tibbs kind of stepping inside the infield a little bit more rather than holding his ground at first. Um, that's kind of a playmaking issue there that could be talked about. Uh, crazy second inning on Sunday, rounding the batting order. Uh, by the end of the second inning, Florida State had 10 runs, I believe you said, Jack. Yep, that is correct. Seven in that inning alone. Uh, just went, going through the entire lineup is always a good sight as a anyone who's working when you hear the same name again. So, yeah, um, there was also plenty of homers, which is something that, you you know, you always like to see. That, they were a little slogan out of the blocks with uh, the long ball, and that's personally okay with me. I mean, personally, I like you want to play in the field. You want to gather some hits, put some guys on base sort of deal, create some confidence. So they responded accordingly that day and basically said you're not going to get a sweep over us you're not going to we know you're good we know you're 10 and 1 you're not going to do this to us so that's always not i mean it's a little overrated in a sense cuz it's like yeah you sh- on paper you should beat FGCU but it's not talked about yeah and it, that was a great display of the fight this team has and just the just mental strength that our bats have and they they showed that they're still going to put runs up even if even if FGCU is going to put put up like 12 runs we're going to respond back with the same thing and it's great that we're seeing that this early even with the bats maybe slowing down a bit against usf but they bounce back great in the fgcu series and it's great to see that even seeing those runs getting put up on the board on the other side we're able to respond right back and it's kind of funny because they've now had a couple probably more than you'd like games where it looks more like a football score and you meant you alluded to that earlier but a 14-8 that is a possible football score there was a 17-10 game against James Madison that is a definite boring football score but (laughs) it's a testament to what the bats can do and maybe looking over at the bullpen like we stated and just going "Mm, need to make some uh well-needed changes 
definitely. You have anything left to add there before we close out FSU baseball, Andrew? Well, I will say um, I was not here during the Mike Martin Jr. era. I have I watched approximately zero Florida State baseball games, and I can say I will take this excitement and the power hitting. And yeah, maybe you'll have some defensive airs. Guys will fall flat on their face in the outfield, playing Star Wars, playing lasers in the outfield, getting distracted. But uh, it's a a lot of fun to watch either way, just from an objective perspective, which obviously none of us have. <laughs> so you, so you're you're commentating from the objective perspective. Yes, I of, of I which am taking the objective Mr. Andrew Cheney. perspective. Yeah. I always take the objective perspective. Res- resident objective perspective guy. Nice. Well, I got told by the folks at FSU Lacrosse I was not biased enough in my broadcast, so I had to make some Not biased enough. Yeah, That's yeah. an interesting one. I was mentioning the other offense too much. I had to ah. emphasize our defense. Well, well, we're proud of you here at the V89 Sports Department for not being super biased. But anyways, hopefully a good game event against BCU on Tuesday leaving off with a momentum shift with the win on Sunday. Uh, And then ACC opener against Pitt this weekend, which is also going to be a big football recruiting weekend. It's rumored that Jameis Winston, Derwin James, Jay Sean Corbin, Snoop. uh, Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey are all going to be making the pilgrimage back to Tallahassee, allegedly. The question is, you are uh, doing work that day. Will you do some? Uh, will you do some talking of them uh, to them? Well, one could hope. I may, I may have a stroke on spot if I get to talk to all of them at once. That, that would just be uh, the dream, in my opinion. Um, that would certainly be the vibe for everybody watching at home. So. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I would, I would make sure my mom and dad screenshot the TV or somehow figured out how to do that because that would be the accomplishment mm-hmm. of my life. But anyways, kicking it over to a different diamond, uh, softball. So they're going to be going on the road truly for kind of the first time. first time in about a month and a half into the season. They've had three home tournaments, I believe, already. And Coach kind of said, Coach Alameda mentioned that Clearwater, even though it's a post- uh, season field and it's technically a neutral site it often feels kind of like a home environment because fans are rushing to get to see FSU but they're going on the road uh, they run ruled nearly every team this weekend whether you want to consider those notable opponents or not is up to you if you want to take the objective perspective like Andrew Cheney um, anywho they're going to Oklahoma this weekend and they're going to take on Oklahoma and Oklahoma State Oklahoma back-to-back national champions so if you if you want to um understate it it's going to be a tough weekend it's going to be it's going to be a tough week you're going to really learn uh, a lot out of this and a lot of these home tournaments have sort of been learning opportunities putting these girls in different positions that either they're not used to or they need to see in game time and as opposed to practice so to run rule four, uh, four, four, four times out of five is always a rather strong, uh, rather strong days. Um, the pitching is not as questionable as baseball, but arguably that's a whole different sport, so we're not going to get into that and try to compare. But it's not as locked down as maybe you would say uh, as to last year, where you'd have Catherine Sandercock basically pitch 
almost two games a weekend, and you were assured of at least two victories. And then you had a strong number two in uh, Danielle Watson. This year, the number two is slated to be Allison Royalty. She's had a couple of good moments, but she hasn't put together the type of performance you'd want uh, out of your number two. Uh, it's It sort of makes sense. She's a transfer a junior from Arizona State. It takes time to acclimatize, but she hasn't had that um, wow factor and has locked down that number two position. And it's left uh, some of the other pitchers, Cat, uh, freshman and McKenna Reed, kind of left them out to dry in some respect and actually even earned Catherine Sandercock only her 10th loss in her career as opposed to like 30 or 40 wins. So... That's always not ideal, but a lot to be excited about on that side, even though it's a, a still a learning phase. This this weekend, you'll finally get to see what FSU baseball, or excuse me, FSU softball is going to look like when you go into conference play and you go into um, hammer time, go into the real time. So it's going to be interesting to see how they approach it. The hitting has been phenomenal. Michaela Enfield, she's the she's Area 51. What more can you say about that? She had a bit of a slump earlier in the season. Uh, I believe only had one hit in Clearwater on 11-12. And then 11 changed 12. her batting song, or she her did. walk-up song. She did for one game, or for one day, excuse me. And, and it changed the momentum. It did. It um, it got her on base finally for the first time in a sec, and then two days later hit a grand slam. And she switched the song back after that day, yes. I may note. Yes. The, the deal is that she would like to keep that song for our career. However, uh, changes need to be made, and sometimes baseball and softball, it's as simple as just shaking things up a little differently, trying to get the blood flowing a little bit differently. And in that day, that seemed to work. Um, on the on the other side of batting, you have tremendous hitters. Kaylee Mudge has been phenomenal. Just your perfect leadoff hitter. She was She's almost guaranteed to get you on base, which is what you always want from your leadoff. Uh, Katie Dack, transfer from Texas A&M might be taking that uh, uh, crown as the queen of home runs. She uh, has hit a couple that have threatened Spiritway Garage, so uh, might need some insurance there, some tank uh, tank insurance. Admirably referred to as the DAC attack at the Plex. DAC, 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 yeah. They... Yep, yep, there is that group that they have coined uh, the DAC attack version of Baby Shark. They're not quite the animals, but they, they're, they're, they they're of that animals. nature. They are animals. They are animals in that they make noises that are unnatural and not quite right. And that's not to say that's all you could ask for, but it's of the nature of the famed animals for baseball. So that's it's always good from that. Uh, a lot of freshmen also making appearances, which is always fun to see. I, I'm going to key on McKenna Reed here pitching. Um, I was a little questionable about her coming in. She has been your lockdown relief pitcher. If you have a two-run lead and it's questionable, you are putting her in. And as a freshman, I don't know what more you could ask because she is a strikeout machine. The sheer velocity on McKenna Reed's pitches and adding in the fact that she's left-handed, it's a matchup no one in the batter's box wants to see, really. No, and Um, even the likes of your – she had a little bit of a slump against UCLA, the number one team in the nation – but other than that... <laughs> Imagine that. A yeah. slump against the number one. As a freshman. My oh my. As a freshman. But she's, she's got killer stuff and knocking on whatever wood is around us here. Uh, yeah, she's wood. Oh, is it? Yeah, okay. Yeah, that yeah, is... You, you know, I've spent two years here finally figuring out the place a little bit. But um, she's, she's likely to be potentially the heir to Catherine Sandercock as Catherine is entering her final season. Her arguably one of the greatest uh, softball pitchers definitely in this time and if you want to make the comparison of all time, I think it's there on the table for you. Well, and um, going into that, talking to former FSU player Kaylin Arnold and a little bit of talking to Coach Alameda as well, 
the game of softball is transitioning to where you're not necessarily using your best pitcher for the entire game or using them at the start. And I wouldn't even go as far as to say Catherine Sandercock's been transitioned into a relief role because that doesn't really feel right. But I'd consider it what is often in baseball called a high leverage uh, pitcher coming in when the day needs to be saved. We need to make sure, or FSU needs to make sure that a double is in the books. But other than that, there's... Would you argue that's almost Wyatt Correll just in the bullpen for a sense? Because he could be... I'm, tra- I'm going back to baseball. That's probably... That guy, if it's under uh, meatball, uh, that's your... He's getting the Friday or Saturday start. But back to softball here. Yeah, she is... You can start her, and you're probably at least assured, as long as you get maybe... You can almost get four, th- three, four runs. Your, li- your lead will be safe. She'll get you to about six or five innings, depending on the circumstances. And then you can just have freshmen... Um, you could have uh, McKenna Reed close out. A lot of other good freshman pitchers. Uh, Maddie Balk has made a few appearances. Um, but I would say, if, if I had to put my money on it, Cat's still the lead the lead dog, the lead cat, if you'd like. Allison is a, uh, I would say a two, but not um, perfectly solidified like D. Watt was uh, last season. And then your relief pitchers, you have Emma Wilson, who's uh, on a bit of a slump here. So... You wonder what her days look like. Uh, Allie Dubois is. Yeah. She's you know she's yes. the about the she's probably your prototypical midweek pe- pitcher pitcher cro- gross. Um, <laughs> but she will come in and you know do some damage. Might need some help getting out of maybe the second or third inning, but it'll set you up for again a McKenna Reed or even uh, a Mac Leonard who's mostly made starts. But well, the interesting thing about this pitching staff is everyone has a key part to what they do and a key thing to what they add and when I asked coach about how she makes the decision she said it was emotionally draining and that the pitchers actually help make the decisions on who's going to start which is very selfless and abnormal in my opinion for any sport of just everyone kind of getting together and contributing to the decision of who gets to start but not to put a damper on that but do you think that happens once you get to Oklahoma State into conference play and then even the postseason I I think I'm putting a damper you, on that, and I'm being mean about it. But I think once you get into that uh, range, you you want the start, but but ideally you also know by then who's doing what. Absolutely. Um, back to you mentioned Ali Dubois. Watching her uh, in the Lamar and Troy series, I think it was the Unconquered Invitational that she got a start in. Her changeup. Nasty. Nasty. The only, and I, I, I hate to make this negative real quick, that is one of her few good pitches from there. Uh, the pitchers can sort of, or the batters can sort of figure out, well, one, you can't throw a salt, you can't throw a changeup forever. you got to throw other mixed p- other pitches right. in. And that's where she can maybe get sent uh, to the dugout a little bit earlier. But she's a she's a, a redshirt senior, I believe. I could be wrong on that. But she's an she experienced is. vet. Um, she knows her role in a sense. Um, so, But it's always good to just have someone of different abilities, and like you said, everybody sort of plays a role to what even the team can do. Even if it's just one inning, the fact that FSU softball has the ability to potentially send someone in for one inning that clocks in a 45-mile-per-hour changeup, and it's within the strike zone. That's pretty good. That's phenomenal. That's pretty good. Phenomenal. Um, do you guys have any more thoughts on it's, FSU It's softball? just unbelievable to see the physicality all up and down the lineup from Florida State. Um, 
you'll see there is it's just a rareness like you were saying that you can throw a pitcher in there with a 40 mile an hour and it's just it's like that and it's all all down the line I think uh, one player we haven't featured strongly uh, that I think has done a phenomenal job these last couple weeks would be Janai Kerr um, she has there is such a strength to the way she hits the ball it's um, to me I think from just a pure like power hitting perspective she may have the highest ceiling on this team right now when we get to the postseason and she's got a little bit of that clutch factor in that game against Alabama where it was tough sledding on the hitting side she was the one that came up with that um, solo shot home run she was the only other hit that in the bottom of the seventh there that got him on base and had a chance to steal the game from him so she is undoubtedly I wouldn't say underrated because she is a premier player of that team but maybe uh, not appreciated as much as she's almost just shy uh, for, of hitting 400. So, uh, I think in terms of this whole weekend in general, I mean, I think it's known that after this football season, Florida State owns Oklahoma as a whole. Ooh. So I think Ooh. Florida State softball is going in there feeling the cheesiest. You got like the football team. <laughs> I would, I would certainly oh, I, hope so, but it also depends on what happens in Stillwater. I so, love the yes. callback joke there. Yeah, woke up feeling cheesiest. Hey. Are you going to be providing the uh, cheese it box down there if they get the victory there? Yes. That was I an, think uh, Prince Chedward is going to both games. So. Oh my God, that wow. would be incredible. Wow. Making his appearance. Thoughts on extra toasty cheeses? I feel like the only, the, the only option. I, the I agree. I agree, Andrew. Let's, let's just. Are you going to give white cheddar? It's, are you going to give it to white cheddar? I would go white cheddar. Yeah. Oh. But uh, let, let's just hope there's no Tahoma 33 sod grass on the uh, bullpen at Oklahoma State after <laughs> the nightmare of the Super Bowl, which was that custom uh, sod. If was, we're getting into the final. Was that points. Oklahoma? Was that Oklahoma an o- State? Oklahoma State. Was the oh, special right. designer of Tahoma 33, the legendarily bad Super Bowl sod from this past year. Might have to do a bit of a field walk prior to the game, sort of get your feeling where the footing may or may not be loose. So, Coach Alameda always trying to get the advantage. But if you're not, what are you doing as a coach? That's what you got to do. I, I completely agree. You got your expectations set, you know. Uh, interesting thing to note about Oklahoma is while we're talking about back-to-back national champions here, we're also talking about a team that was run-rolled by UCLA, and FSU played UCLA pretty closely in the Clearwater Invitational, uh, only losing 6-4. to four. Yeah, and I don't have the uh, numbers in front of me on what... It, it was a USCLA-like invitational, I believe, where they also, UCLA, run-ruled Florida in five innings on 10 runs and blanking them. So they're the cream of the crop, and they put a good game against them. And that's not... If you're... If you're experienced FSU softball. That's not all that surprising. This team has made national championship in the past five seasons. It wouldn't be put it past them to do a similar run. Only issue is you had that had that uh, had that stumper against Mississippi State back at the regionals, which was suck which sucked because I introduced I tried to introduce my parents to FSU softball and then they just drop an absolute <sighs> to be nice dumpster fire in a sense. Oh yeah that Catherine was... Sandercox maybe one only bad game I would maybe mention. I um in my tenure with the FSU, uh, writing for the paper, that was actually my task for my interview was to write about the Mississippi State FSU softball game, watch it as it was happening, and uh, that job got probably got pretty hard really quick. Oh, oh, oh yeah, yep, yep, because you know you always want to talk about FSU winning, and sometimes they don't, and that's okay. They're, but they're still great. this is this season. They only have three yes. losses. 
besides the weird weather against Longwood, they've lost to quality opponents, and they'll look to carry that momentum into Oklahoma. You, they're going in thinking they want to go perfect, but this is teams who are ranked above you. Um, so realistically, I think a good result, if they can get three wins out of four, um, you know, I think that would be a perfect situation for them because you've been experiencing you go through the mud there and also come out on top. Definitely. I agree. All right, so we're going to keep it within women's sports, and we're going to kick it over to women's basketball. Definitely not hosting after losing the Wake Forest game. Uh, kind of revealed what an FSU women's basketball team with Tanaya and without Tanaya looks like. Well, I think you can say that, but when you do pay attention, they got the big lead uh, put up on Wake Forest, right? So there is a capability for this team to function without Tania Latson, though it does have a definitive, uh, clearly evident ceiling without her in the lineup. It's a 40-minute game, not uh, not a 20-minute game, so you only run as far as you can. Sorry not to cut you off there. but Yeah, I mean, I feel like you can... You can even take it back to earlier in the season playing UConn. Tania Latson comes out kind of cold. We're trailing, or FSU is trailing uh, in the first half, and then essentially down to the key moments in the final minutes of the game, she fouls out seven minutes to go, and the game is lost after essentially a great fight in the second half. And it's kind of just, you know, even if there's a different stat leader on the day. For instance, in Miami, K.K. Timpson was the stat leader with 22 points on the day, and I believe Tania Latson only had <laughs> only 19. Not, not, that's, that feels crazy That might be her average. And K.K., um, um, also ACC most improved player of the season, and Tania getting the freshman of the season, and that was almost... It, it would have been a shock if they weren't them. Um, Lethal yeah, combo. There's, there hasn't been too many times where they, where this has happened, where you have such a lead and uh, taken such a fall. But this is again a year one team under Coach Brooke Wyckoff. Um, you, you, not to say you need stuff like this, but it showed that there was still work to be done. There was the thought that, I, or at least I was going in thinking, not that they'll brush them aside, but like it'll set up a very like Wake. They run them out of their build. They run them out of their own building, and then you know want to ch- want a close one at Wake. My thought was that they could sort of. Uh, handle them accordingly even without Tanaya because KK was almost averaging a double-double throughout the season. Her Absolutely, her yeah. work's incredible. Mariana Valenzuela, you can always always count on for one or two threes to grip you through the game. Sarah Bajetti, though, like, um, William was so nice to give us notes, even though he's not here. But Sarah Bajetti went one for 11. Uh, she's a key piece, not only on the defensive side, but offensive side. So that was a huge loss. And again, just a tsunami that you just couldn't come up for air from. Yeah, the fourth Bajetti in that one. That was, yeah. And that's not a, that's a, that's every player that could have been leaned on, not that they didn't perform, but it just didn't go their way. KK had a decent game, but not to the level that she could have saved the game, and Sarah neither as well. And Amaria did a respectable job in uh, Tania's spot, and she had a hot start, but that's, yeah, it's essentially why she's the bench player. Not to put her down, but... (laughs) Across multiple sports, it seems like a commonality that we're mentioning is ability to finish the game. Uh, doesn't matter if you can hold your own for eight minutes, 13 minutes, like you said, 40-minute game. Yep. Uh, so going into bracketology, which I'm definitely going to pan over to Andrew over here, especially because he's so unbiased. Um, <laughs> but... 
Bryctology, uh, I believe we discussed before the show started. Currently, FSU projected for that number seven seed. And within that division, it goes number one, USC, number two, Utah, number three, Ohio State, number four, UNC, number five, Colorado, number six, Iowa State. Yes, that was from ESPN's Charlie Cream. Always does an excellent job of comparing resumes. Gotta love Mr. Cream. Cream. Um, But their their outlook's been... um, They were, again, set to seemingly host a tournament. I even had word from inside the facilities that it seemed like they were going to as long as they held their course accordingly. And then, not to say that they dropped the ball, but momentum definitely slowed at the wrong time. They suffered a loss to Miami, which is respectable. They're a team that's expected to make the tournament, but also um, you know some other key losses at uh, certain points on the road. Um, I think one of those losses earlier in the season to Louisville was a heartbreaker. Um, this team can definitely overcome it and make a probably decent run, but the idea is you try to put yourself in the best position, plain as that, and they have not been able to do that. They will likely fall to, I believe you said, a 7 or 8 seed. So they put themselves in this position, and the worst part is we just got to wait and find out. We, we, it's an entire week until Selection Sunday, and then from there we, we can assess the path. And for now, I believe, look, according to this here, they're expected to play a Big East team in Marquette, but that could always change. Uh, sitting at a seven spot in some polls, it's also not polls, but in other rankings it's six, maybe in as low as nine, or excuse me, eight. So you got to play with what's given to you, and... They didn't show up in the right spot for that, but also uh, there was a lot of surprises in that tournament. You had Wake actually going kind of the distance. Virginia Tech, who was a team that was good, but um, not the most you know, outlandish team, went on to win the whole damn thing. So, And like we said, we, we still don't know if we're going to see a Latson appearance in the tournament because the injury is undisclosed. We have no idea how long she's potentially on... IR or out, we we don't know these things. We don't have the facts about it. Yes, well, I actually the other day was walking home from Publix and ran into a, a we'll say homeless, I'm not sure, but uh, he, he asked to buy uh, some minutes for his phone, so I was I was helping him out. Right, this is not a story about me. This is a story about him. But he was so emphatic, and this is this is good uh, uh, reference point. He was so emphatic about how improved Florida State women's basketball is, how it's so much more fun to watch than the men's team, right? Um, and he, of course, he said that with an air of like uh, like unsureness or mockery. And right, this guy, he's you know who knows what his situation is, right? Why? Where his attitude has come from but the overall point is that you have to remember what the expectations were for this team entering the season and what they have achieved now and what they stand to achieve in the future right the the youth of the team one and the youth of brooke wyckoff as well right she's she's a young coach right this is not only is it her first chance as a head coach um and she clearly has such a mindset um and a youth to the way she interacts with the team. It's like um, there's just there's such a mo- modernness um, to the way this this uh, Florida State women's basketball team conducts themselves. It's an evolution of what Sue brought to the program for the past 20 years. Like Hamilton, both mainstays throughout my entire life and most of ours. So times are changing. Um, and for a transition, they were, I believe, expected to finish ninth in the ACC. They finished fifth with a couple of not clutch losses, but untimely losses 
they could have been as high as a three or two seed. But um, anyone who's watched college basketball or women's college basketball knows the uh, the separation between the elite and the great teams are existent. So while it, um, you could lose to anybody, not as much so as maybe in men's college basketball, they put up a good fight against a lot of quad one teams, such as North Carolina State. They almost had one against Louisville, had a great win against Duke, North Carolina, uh, got got beat pretty badly against Notre Dame, who's a probably a Final Four candidate. So they're definitely tr- in the right direction, in the right conversations. Um, just a shame that it happened now and at the wrong uh, what happened now at the wrong time. But if anyone could make some noise, it could be them. Absolutely, and you kind of you mentioned Duke there, and so much so that they were accused of using a men's ball. Oh, oh no! In that game, <laughs> um, for our listeners, that I don't, I don't believe that went any further. Correct? I, I don't, I believe that was just an accusation, and an ACC it ruled did that not. It, it was, it was an accusation, and it was disproved and uh, disregarded. Well, yeah. Well, we lost pretty badly to the men's team at uh, Duke, so we'll take that victory along with the women's one. So, absolutely, and. Uh, now to keep it on the hardwood, we're going to flip over to men's basketball, and uh, this is a segment that maybe we look forward to, maybe we don't. We wish things were different. We have a lot to talk about because of the way things are. Puts us in business, <laughs> potentially, if you support on Wednesday. I, I'm just going to state the, stim- the simple fact that if they lose uh, their game tomorrow against Georgia Tech, uh, FSU football 10 wins FSU basketball this season nine wins I think that uh that kind of that should really do the talking for you there um the only way literally the only way for them to make the tournament is a win and that seems some of us are having a tough time getting them past the first round against a tech side that was had a very rough start but have, have gotten I believe won three of their last four they're trending the right direction um if you had to play a low lead team that's not the team you would have wanted to play right now and you know, I never know because Virginia Tech the team last year, I believe, was a mid six or seven seed, won the whole thing. So you never know what could happen. Maybe they can upset. I wouldn't say upset Georgia Tech, but carry out a win against Georgia Tech, and then Pittsburgh. They played well. They beat them on the road, and it, they almost had them uh, when they were playing at the Tucker. So if you had to choose a team that you'd take the next level with, that's also favorable. But the ceiling is definitely two wins, and that's maybe being a little optimistic. I've. I agree that it might be a little bit optimistic. Uh, just to touch on some stat nuggets there, just about this program, um, we're sitting at a nine, or FSU is sitting at a nine and twenty-two record. The last time that there were only nine wins was two thousand, and even that was a nine-win, twenty-one loss season. And if we date back to an even worse record, the last time there was nine wins, and um, a crazy number of losses was 1958, and still that was not as many losses as this season, making this season the worst season in FSU basketball history. You would argue that, um, you know, the floor, you're, you're, you're obviously at the floor here, and but to go even further, you may be digging in that floor into the foundation of what the program was built upon the past decade. Like, you are seriously creating a lot of issues for yourself and get and not having good turnout at the right time. Um, Coach Hamilton has just echoed throughout the season that um, he underestimated uh, the transfer portal and its abilities. And I'm not going to say NIL, but there's an element of that involved perhaps as well. I don't know the numbers, but that has potentially played a role. And 
it's it definitely doesn't set him up for a good season. I believe when most of us came here, um, it was it was coming off the heels of that 2020 uh, incredible team that never got to see the light of day in the uh, postseason. But I do have a T-shirt that says 2020 FSU national champions, <laughs> and it's a big basketball dude. And then it just says allegedly. Are we pulling a note out of uh, UCF's uh, playbook there? However, they did not say allegedly. They they did not say mm, allegedly. They the just games. they just claimed That's it completely. Different. And I've, I I I do agree. It's that in the it's stadium. Completely different yeah, because yeah. the games were played. You can't attribute anything to COVID. So for that, g- genuinely, yes, it kind of is the same thing. But I do not want to be in the same sentence. No, I don't want to be in the same sentence as UCF. <laughs> But there is, there is a banner in the Tucker Center that just says 2020 tournament canceled. We do put a – I have noticed the team does put up banners whenever there is a slight of postseason. I can't recall if there is one for last season where they were shell-shocked in the first round of the ACC tournament against Syracuse, embarrassingly. But that season they were, you know, also above 500. So – and they had it, – well, it was unlikely. There was still a potential shot. Um, but like I said, this is threatening the foundation of everything, whether it be recruiting – your play style, your coach is being called into question, um, as he has been all season. Your players being called into question. Your new guys coming in, where are they going to go? Can the promised ones stay? Can you still attract new talent? It's You've created too many variables for yourself uh, in the next couple seasons with this season alone. 74 years old right now. His contract is up in a year. Uh, I feel like you can kind of almost attribute it to the Bobby Bowden situation, except without a notable championship win. I think basketball is a little mean in that it's the tournament. Um, they had a sweet, they had a couple Sweet Sixteen runs, I believe. I remember that loss against Michigan, that win against Gonzaga, and then that loss against Gonzaga. So uh, they've had good years in the past couple seasons. It's it's been a long duration that I, again, none of us have really been around for it as an entirety, but I. You, you gotta wonder. It's it's on the it's on the cards. It's the buzz is there. The thought is, if you lose more non-conference games, and that was what set up the whole season was losing to Stetson, losing to Troy. Teams on paper you should beat, and going into conference play with maybe two w- wins. That's that's embarrassing, and that threatens everything that you've done. Well, and like you said, I'll giving you credit here for the conversation uh, pre-show. They got to win the ACC championship to even make it into the tournament. And even if they make it to the championship and come up runner-up, they will not make it to the NCAA championship. There will no be letter. They won't, be, won't even make it to the NIT. No, there will be no letter or email coming from wherever the NIT is located. Thoughts? Do we actually like the NIT for the most part? Do we? Do we watch that? No. I feel I, I'm not trying to rip that organization or everything they do, but like. I've never seen us in the NIT in recent history, and if this team was able to do so next year, I, I mean, I'd watch it mostly because we we have to. So, well, Gators I mean, basketball is about to go far there. <laughs> Florida State is—you can still put Florida State and the NCAA tournament in the same conversation in the fact that they could shake it up a bit by beating Pitt somehow, getting to there. I know the ACC has a lot of teams on the bubble. If we were to somehow take down one of those teams on the bubble some other teams could slip into the tournament i mean that's the only possible conversation in which the Knowles could the best thought is you can just be a spoiler yeah and even then how motivated as a team do you want to be a spoiler and that's <laughs> exactly that's a team by team basis when you only have eight wins i mean 
I don't think you deserve the title of spoiler at that point. Yeah, and the only silver lining I can take away is that Coach Hamilton has quoted this team as being inconsist- or consistently inconsistent. So. And touching on that note of being consistently inconsistent, for a bit of a comedic relief note to this sad, sad story, unbiased Andrew Cheney, take it away with well, some teams there has, that have a better record. There has been one consistency for Florida State this year, the three-point defense among the worst in college basketball, the worst in Power 5 basketball. Here are some teams with a better three-point defense than Florida State. IUPUI, Nebraska, Omaha, uh, Coastal Carolina, Canisius, Central Arkansas, Niagara, Xavier, Nichols State, Colgate, New Orleans, William & Mary, Wolford. That's a lot. Elon. Apparently, Elon Musk bought a college, and uh, <laughs> no. he's taught them to teach uh, to play three-ball defense better than Coach. You Hammond. can't be worse. Is, you can't be worse than food true, or toothpaste. <laughs> you can't be worse than Colgate. You oh, can, that's oh, wow. that's you got wow. Stonehill. Stonehill. Missouri, Kansas City. I believe there was a. If not to cut you off here, but was there not a school that had county in the title that was ahead yes, of FSU? Yes, I believe you oh, had yes. a school that had county in the title, which is not ideal. I can't find that. Definitely, definitely not ideal, but you'll just, it sounds like you'll just have to take our word for it, but as we are approaching the 7.59 mark, uh, it has been a pleasure being with you this evening and talking FSU sports, ending off on kind of, kind of... It was, uh, it was uh, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, that's what it was. So a <laughs> who city oh, has UMBC. won, yeah, who has actually won a tournament game. Wow. So that one, you know, oh, just think of that okay, one's not so right, bad. Right. Well, it's, well, it's fine that they have county in their name. They're UMBC. We're, we're fine with that. Yeah. But anyways, as we're approaching the 8 o'clock hour, this has been Kylie Brennan, Andrew Cheney, Justin Pollock, Pollock, and Jack Oliaro sneaking in from behind the glass, taking the panel tonight. And it has been a pleasure talking FSU sports with you. We'll see you back next week, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 89.7 FM, or... Listen live at wvfs.fsu.edu and make sure on Wednesday to visit the website, that same website that I just mentioned, and give back to support us in doing what we do best. Good night. Have a nice Monday.